Hello! Welcome back to the Harry Potter Podcast, in which every episode I read a chapter of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. In the last episode, we read Chapter 8, The Potions Master. And in this episode, we'll be reading Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. So let's begin! Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. Harry had never believed he would meet a boy he hated more than Dudley, but that was before he met Draco Malfoy. Still, first year, Gryffindors only had potions with the Slytherins, so they didn't have to put up with Malfoy much, or at least they didn't until they spotted a notice pinned on the Gryffindor common room, which made them all groan. Flying lessons would be started on Thursday, and Gryffindor and Slytherin would be learning together. Typical, said Harry darkly. Just what I've always wanted, to make a fool of myself on a broomstick in front of Malfoy. He had been looking forward to learning to fly more than anything else. You don't know you'd make a fool out of yourself, said Ron reasonably. Anyway, I know Malfoy's going to talk about how good he is at Quidditch, but I bet that's all talk. Malfoy certainly did talk about flying a lot. He complained loudly that first he was never getting a chance to compete in Quidditch. Boasting stories on how you always seem to end with him narrowly escaping muggles and helicopters. He wasn't the only one, though. The way Seamus Finnegan told it, he'd spent most of his childhood zooming around the countryside on his boomstick. Even Ron would tell anyone who'd listen about the time he almost got hit a hang glider on Charlie's old broom. Everyone from wizarding families talked about Quidditch constantly. Ron had already had a big argument with Dean Thomas, who started their geometry about football. Ron couldn't see why this was an exciting game with only one ball and no one was allowed to fly. Harry had caught Ron prodding Dean's poster of West Ham football team, trying to make the players move. Neville had never been on a broomstick in his life, because his grandmother had never let him near one. Privately, Harry felt she had a good reason, because Neville managed to have an extraordinary number of accidents, even with both feet on the ground. Hermione Granger was almost as nervous about flying as Neville was. This was something you couldn't learn by heart out of a book. Not that she hadn't tried. At breakfast on Thursday, she bored them all stupid, with flying tips she'd got out of the library book called Quidditch Through the Ages. Neville was hanging on to every word, desperate for anything that might help him hang on his broomstick later. But everyone else was very pleased when Hermione's lecture was interrupted by the arrival of Post. Harry hadn't had a single letter since Hagrid's note, something that Malfoy had been quick to notice, of course. Malfoy's eagle owl was always bringing him packages of sweets from home, which he opened gloatly at the Slytherin table. A barn owl but never a small package from his grandmother. He opened it excitedly and showed them a glass ball the size of a large marble, which seemed to be full of white smoke. It's a remember-all, he explained. Gran knows I forgot things. This tells you if you forgot, you've forgotten. To do. Look, you hold it tight like this and it turns red. Oh, his face fell because the remember all had suddenly glowed with scarlet. You've forgotten something. 
Neville was trying to remember what he had forgotten when Draco Malfoy, who was passing the Gryffindor table, snatched the remember all out of his hand. Harry and Ron jumped to their feet. They were half hoping to, for a reason to fight Malfoy, but Professor McGonagall, who could spot trouble quicker than any teacher in the school, was there in a flash. What's going on? Malfoy's got my remember all, Professor. Scowling, Malfoy quickly dropped the remember back on the table. Just looking, he said, and he slipped away with Crab and Goyle behind him. At 3.30 this afternoon, Harry, Ron, and the other Gryffindors hurried down the front steps into the grounds for their first flying lesson. It was a clear, breezy day, and the grass rippled under their feet as they marched down the sloping lawns towards a smooth lawn on the opposite of the grounds to the Forbidden Forest, whose trees were swaying darkly in the distance. The Slytherins were already there. There were twenty broomsticks lying in neat lines on the ground. Harry had, Harry had heard Fred and George Weasley complain about the school brooms, saying that some of them started to vibrate if you flew too high, or always flew slightly to the left. Their teacher, Madame Hooch, arrived. She was short, gray hair, and yellow eyes like a hawk. Well, what are you waiting for? She barked. Everyone stand by a broomstick. Come on, hurry up. Harry glanced down at the broom. It was old, and some of the twigs stuck out in odd angles. Stick up your right hand over the broom, called Madame Hooch at the front, and say, Up! Up! Everyone shouted. Harry's broom jumped into his hand at once, but it was one of a few that did. Hermione Granger's had simply rolled over on the ground, and Neville's hadn't moved at all. Perhaps brooms like horses could never tell you when you were afraid, thought Harry. There was a quaver in Neville's voice that said only too clearly that he wanted to keep his feet on the ground. Madame Hooch then showed them how to mount their brooms without sliding off the end and walked up and down the rows, correcting the grips. Harry and Ron were delighted when she told Malfoy he'd been doing it wrong for years. Now, when I blow my whistle, you kick off your brooms from the ground hard, said Madame Hooch. Keep your brooms steady. Rise a few feet and then come straight back down by leaning forward slightly. On my whistle. Three, two. Benevol nervous and jumped. And frightened of being left on the ground, pushed up hard before the whistle had touched Madame Hooch's lips. Come back, boy! she shouted. But Neville was rising straight up like a cock shot out of a bottle. Twelve feet, twenty feet. Harry saw his scared white face look down at the ground falling away, saw him gasp, slip sideways off the broom, and wham! A thud and a nasty crack, and Neville lay face down on the grass in the heap. His broomstick was still rising higher and higher, and started to drift lazily toward the forbidden forest and out of sight. Madame Hooch was bending over Neville. Here, face was as white as his. Broken wrist, Harry heard him murmur. Come on, boy. It's all right. You get up. She turned to the rest of the class. None of you is to move while I take this boy to the hospital wing. You leave those brooms where they are, or you'll be out of Hogwarts before you can say Quidditch. Come on, dear. Neville, 
his face tear-streaked, clutching his wrist, hobbled off with Madame Hooch, who had her arm around him. No sooner were they out of earshot than Malfoy burst into laughter. Did you see his face, the great lump? The other Southerns joined him. Shut up, Malfoy, snapped Privati Patel. Oh, sticking up for Longbottom, said Fancy Parkinson, a hard-faced Southern girl. Never thought you'd like a fat little crybaby's poverty. Look, said Malfoy, darting forwards and snatching something out of the grass. It's the stupid thing Longbottom's grandson, him. The rainbow glittered in the sun as Harry held it up. Give that here, Malfoy, said Harry quietly. Everyone stopped talking to watch. Malfoy smiled nastily. I think I'll leave it somewhere for Longbottom to collect. How about up in a tree? Give it here! Harry yelled, but Malfoy had leapt on his broomsticks and taken off. He had been lying. He could fly well, hovering level with the topmost branches of the oak he called. Come and get it, Potter! Harry grabbed his broom. No! shouted Hermione Granger. Madame Hoos told us not to move. You'll get us all in trouble. Harry ignored her. Blood was pounding in his ears. He mounted the broom and kicked hard against the ground. And up, up, he soared air, rushed through his hair and his robes, whipped out behind him, and in a rush of fierce joy, he realized he'd found something he could do without being taught. This was easy. This was wonderful. He pulled his broomsticks up a little and take it even higher and heard screams of gasps of girls back on the ground and an admiring whoop from Ron. He turned his broomstick sharply to face Malfoy in the middle air. Malfoy looked stunned. Give it here, Harry called, or I'll knock you off that broom. Oh, yeah, said Malfoy, trying to sneer but looking worried. Harry knew somehow what to do. He leant his forward and grasped the broom tightly in both hands, and it shot towards Malfoy like a javelin. Malfoy only just got out of the way in time. Harry made a sharp about turning and held the broom steady. A few people were clapping. No crab and goyle up here to save your neck, Malfoy, Harry called. The same thought seemed to have struck Malfoy. Catch it if you can, then, he shouted. And he threw the glass ball high into the air and streaked back towards the ground. Harry saw as though in slow motion the ball rise up in the air and started to fall. He leant forward and pointed his broom handle down. Next second, he was gathering speed in a steep dive, racing the ball wind whistled in his ears mingled with the screams of people watching he stretched out his hand a foot from the ground he caught it just in time to pull his broom straight and topple gently onto the grass with the remarkable clutched safely in his fist harry potter his heart sunk faster than he dived professor mcgonagall was running towards him he got to his feet trembling Never, in all my time at Hogwarts, Professor McGonagall was almost speechless with shock, and her glasses flashed furiously. How dare you! Might have broken your neck. 
It wasn't my fault, Professor. Be quiet. But Malfoy, that's enough. Mr. Weasley, Potter, follow me now. Harry caught sight of Malfoy, Crabbe and Willow, triumph faces as he left, walking numbly in a professor's McGonagall's wake as she strode towards the castle. He was going to be expelled. He just knew it. He wanted to say something to defend himself, but there seemed to be something wrong with his voice. Professor McGonagall was sweeping along without even looking at him. He had to jog to keep up. Now he'd done it. He hadn't even lasted two weeks. He'd be packing his bag in ten minutes. What would the Dursleys say if he turned up at his doorstep? Up the front steps, up the marble, staircase inside, and still Professor McGonagall didn't say a word to him. She wrenched the doors open and marched along corridors, with Harry trotting miserably behind her. Maybe she was talking to Dumbledore. He thought of Hagrid expelled, but allowed to stay as gamekeeper. Perhaps he could be Hagrid's assistant. His stomach twisted as he imagined it, watching Ron and the others become wizards while he stumped around on the grounds, carrying Hagrid's bag. Professor McGonagall stopped outside a classroom. She opened the door and poked her head inside. Excuse me, Professor Fitzquick. Could I borrow wood for a moment? Wood? That Harry bewildered. Was wood a cane she was going to use on him? But wood turned out to be a person. A blurry fifth-year boy who came out to be Flitwick's class, looking confused. Follow me, you two, said Professor McGonagall, and they marched up in the corridor. Wood, looking curiously at Harry, in here. Professor McGonagall pointed them into a classroom which was empty except for Peeves, who was really writing rude words on the blackboard. Out, Peeves! She barked. Peeves threw the chalk into the pin, clean loudly, and then he sweeped out cursing. Professor McGonagall slammed the door behind the, and turned to the face of the boys. Potter, this is Oliver Wood. Wood, I found you a seeker. Wood's expression changed from puzzlement to delight. Are you serious, Professor? Absolutely, said Professor McGonagall crisply. The boys are natural. I've never seen anything like it. Was this your first time on a broomstick, Potter? Harry nodded silently. He didn't have a clue what was going on, but he didn't seem to be getting expelled, and of the feeling started to come back in his legs. He caught that thing in his hand after a 50-foot dive. Professor McGonagall told Wood, did he even scratch himself? Charlie Weasley couldn't have done that. Wood was now looking as though all his dreams had come true at once. Ever seen a game of Quidditch, Potter? He asked excitedly. Wood's captain of the Gryffindor team, Professor McGonagall explained. He's just built for a seeker, too, said Pro Wood, now walking around Harry and staring at him, light, speedy. We'll have to get him a decent broom, Professor, a Nimbus 2000 or a clean sweep. Seven, I say. I shall speak to Dumbledore and see if we can bend the first year rule. Heaven knows, we need a better team than last year, flattened in the last match by Slytherin. I couldn't look at Severus Snape in the face for weeks. Professor McGonagall peered sternly over his glasses at Harry. I want to hear your training hard, Potter, or I may change my mind about punishing you.
Then she suddenly smiled. Your father would have been proud. She said he was an excellent Quidditch player himself. You're joking. It was dinner time. Harry had just finished telling Ron what has happened when he left the grounds with Professor McGonagall. Ron had a piece of steak and kidney pie halfway in his mouth, but he'd forgotten all about it. Seeker! He said, First years, never! You must be the youngest player, house player in about a, a century, said Harry, shoveling pie into his mouth. He felt particularly hungry after the excitement this afternoon. Wood told me. Ron was so amazed, so impressed. He just sat and gapped at Harry. I start training next week, said Harry. Only don't tell anyone. One wants it to keep a secret. Fred and George we seek now came into the hall, spotted Harry, and hurried over. Well done, said Her George in a low voice. What told us? We're on the team, too. Beaters. I'll tell you, we're gonna going to win that Quidditch Cup for sure this year, said Fred. We haven't won since Charlie left, but this year's term is going to be brilliant. You must be good, Harry. Wood almost skipping when he told us. Anyway, we've got to go. Lee Jordan reckons he's found a new secret passageway out of school. Bet it's the one behind the statue of Gregory, this smarmy, that we found on their first week. See you. Fred and George had hardly disappeared when someone far less welcome turned up, Malfoy flanked by Crab and Goyle. Having a last meal, Potter, when are you going on the train back to the Muggles? You're a lot braver now when you're back on the ground and you've got your little friends with you, said Harry coolly. There was, of course, nothing at all little about crab and grill, but as the high tables was full of teachers, neither of them could do more than crack their knuckles and scowl. I take you on a duel on my own, said Malfoy. Tonight, if you want, was as a duel, once only, no contact. What's the matter? Never heard of a wizard's duel before, I suppose? Of course he has, said Ron, wheeling round. I'm a second. Who's yours? Malfoy looked at Crab and Goyle, sizing them up. Crab, he said, midnight all right? We'll meet you in the trophy room. That's always unlocked. When Malfoy had gone, Ron and Harry looked at each other. What's a wizard's do? And what do you do? You mean, you're my second, said Harry. Well, a second there to take over if you die, said Ron, casually getting started on the list of his cold pie. Catching a look on his face, he added quickly, But people only die in proper deals, you know, with real wizards. The most you and Malfoy be able to do is send sparkles at each other. Neither of you know enough magic to do any real damage. I bet he expected you to refuse anyway. And what if I wave my wand and nothing happens? Throw it away and punch him on the nose, Ron suggested. Excuse me? They both looked up. It was Hermione Granger. Can't a person eat in peace in this place? said Ron. Hermione ignored him and spoke to Harry. I couldn't help overhearing what you and Malfoy were saying. Bet you could. And you mustn't go wandering around the school at night. Think of all the points you'll lose Gryffindor if you got caught. And you're bound to be. It's very selfish of you. And it's really none of your business, said Harry. Goodbye. All the same, it wasn't what you called the 
perfect end to the day. Harry thought, as he lay awake, much later listening to Dean and Simmons falling asleep, Neville wasn't back from the hospital wing. Ron had spent all evening giving him advice, such as, If he tries to curse you, you'd better dodge him, because I can't remember how to block them. There was a very good chance that they were being caught by Filch and Mrs. Norris. And Harry felt he was pushing his luck, breaking another school rule today. On the other hand, Malfoy's sneering face kept looming up and out of the darkness. This was a big chance to beat Malfoy face to face. He couldn't miss it. Half past eleven, Ron muttered at last. We better go. They pulled on their dressing gowns, picked up their wands, and crept across the tower room, down the spiral staircase, and into the Gryffindor common room. A few embers were still glowing in the fireplace, turning all the armchairs into hunched back shadows. They had almost reached the portrait hole when a voice spoke from the nearest chair of them. I can't believe you're going to do this, Harry. A lamp flickered on. It was Hermione Granger, wearing a pink dressing gown and a fur. You, said Ron furiously, go back to bed. I almost told your brother, Hermione snapped. Percy, he's a prefect. He'd put a stop to this. Harry couldn't believe anyone who had been so interfering. Come on, he said to Ron. He pushed open the portrait hole of the fat lady and climbed through the hole. Hermione wasn't going to give up easily. She followed Ron through the portrait hole, hissing at him like an angry goose. Don't you care about Gryffindor? Do you only care about yourselves? I don't want Slytherin to win the House Cup, and you'll lose all our points I got from Professor McGonagall for knowing about switching spells. Go away. All right, but I warned you. You just remember what I said. When you're going on the train home tomorrow, you're so... But what they were, they didn't find out. Hermione had turned to the portrait and the fat lady to get back inside, found herself facing an empty painting. The fat lady had gone on a nighttime visit, and Hermione was locked out of the Griffin Tower. Now what am I going to do? She asked freely. That's your problem, said Ron. We've got to go now. We're going to be late. They hadn't even reached the end of the corridor when Hermione caught up with them. I'm coming with you, she said. You are not. Do you think I'm going to stand out here and wait for Filch to catch me? If he finds all three of us, I'll tell him the truth. That's, I was trying to stop you and you can back me up. You've got some nerve, said Ron loudly. Shut up, both of you, said Harry sharply. I heard something. It was a sort of stuffling. Mrs. Norris, breathed Ron, squinting through the dark. It wasn't Mrs. Norris, it was Neville. He was curled up on the floor, fast asleep, but jerked suddenly as they crept near. Thank goodness you found me. I've been out here for hours. I couldn't remember the new password to get into bed. Keep your voice down, Neville. The password's pig snout. But it won't help you now. The fat lady's gone off somewhere. How's your arm? said Harry. Fine, said Neville, showing them. Madame Pomfrey mentioned it in about a minute. Good. Well, look, Neville's, we've got to go somewhere. We'll see you later. Don't leave me, said Neville, screaming through. I don't want to stay here alone. The bloody barons 
been passed twice already. Ron looked at his watch and glared fiercely at Hermione and Neville. If either of you get us caught, I will never rest until I have learnt that curse of the boogie squirrel told us about and use it on you. Hermione opened her mouth, perhaps to tell Ron exactly how to use the curse of boogies, but Harry hissed at her to be quiet and beckoned them all forward. They flitted along corridors, stripped with bars of moonlight from the high windows. At every turn, Harry unexpected to run into Filch or Mrs. Norris, but they were lucky. They sped up a staircase, the third floor, and tiptoed towards the trophy room. Malfoy and Crab weren't there yet. The crystal trophy cases glimmered where the moonlight caught them. Cups, shields, plates, and statues winked silver and gold in the darkness. They edged along the walls, keeping their eyes on the doors at either end of the room. Harry took out his wand in case Malfoy leapt in and started at once. The minutes crept by. He's late. Maybe he's chickened out, Ron's whispered. Then a noise in the next room made them jump. Harry had only raised his wand when he heard someone speak. And it wasn't Malfoy. Sniff around, my sweet. They might be lurking in the corner. It was Filch, speaking to Mrs. Norris. Horror struck. Harry waited madly at the other three to follow him as quickly as possible. He scurried suddenly towards the door, away from Filch's voice. Neville's robes had barely whipped round the corner when they heard Filch enter the trophy room. They're hiding in here somewhere, they heard him mutter. Probably hiding. This way, Harry mouthed to the others and petrified. They began to creep down the long gallery of suits of armor. They could hear Filch get nearer. Neville suddenly let out a frightened squeak and broke into a run. He tripped, grabbed Ron around the waist, and a pair of them toppled right into a suit of armor. The clanging and crushing were enough to wake up the whole castle. Run! Harry yelled, and the four of them sprinted down the galley. Not looking back to see whether Filch was following, they swung around the doorpost and galloped down one corridor, then another. Harry in the lead, without any idea where they were going, they whipped through a tapestry and found themselves in a hidden passageway, hurled along it and came out near the Charms classroom, which they knew was miles away from the trophy room. I think we've lost them. Harry panted, leaning against the cold wall and wiping his forehead. Neville was bent double, wheezing and spluttering. I told you! Hermione gasped, clutching at the sn stitch in her chest. I told you! We've got to get back to Gryffindor Tower, said Ron, quickly as possible. Malfoy tricked you, Hermione said to Harry. You realize that, don't you? He was never going to meet you. Filch knew someone had been going to the trophy room. Malfoy must have tipped him off. Harry thought she was probably right, but he wasn't going to tell her. Let's go. It was going to be that simple. They hadn't gone more than a dozen places when the door knob rattled, and there came out, shooting in the classroom in front of them. It was Peeves. He caught a sight of them and gave a squeal of delight. Shut up! Peeves, please, or you'll get yourself thrown out. 
Peace cackled, wandering around at midnight, ickle firsties. Tut, 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 naughty, naughty, you'll get cotty. Not if you don't give us away, Peeves, please. Should I tell Filch? Should I, should I? said Peeves in a saintly voice, but his eyes glittered quickly. It's for your own good, you know. Get out of our way, snapped Ron, giving a swipe at Peeves. This was a big... Students out of bed, Peeves bellowed. Students out of bed, down in the charm corridor. Ducking under Peeves, they ran for their lives, right to the end of the corridor, where they slammed into a door, and it was locked. This is it, Ron moaned as they pushed helplessly at the door. We're done for. This is the end. They could hear footsteps. Filch running as fast as he could towards Peeves' shouts. Oh, move over. Hermione snarled. She grabbed Harry's wand, tapped the lock, and whispered, Aloha, Mora. The lock clicked, and the door swung open. As they passed through, shut it quickly, and pressed their ears against it, listening. Which way did they go, Peeves? Filch was saying, Quick, tell me. Say, please. Don't waste me. Peeves, where'd they go? Shan't say anything if you don't say please, said Peeves in his annoying sing-song voice. All right, please. Nothing. Ha-ha, I told you I wouldn't say nothing if you said didn't play please. Ha-ha-ha. And they heard the sound of Peeves swishing away and Phil cursing in rage. He thinks the door is locked. Harry whispered, I think we'll be okay. Get off, Michael. For Neville had been tugging on the sleeve of Harry's dressing gown for the last minute. What? Harry turned around and saw quite clearly what. For a moment, he was sure he walked into a nightmare. For this was too much. On top of everything that had happened so far, they weren't in a room, as he supposed. They were in the corridor, the forbidden corridor in the third room. And now, they knew it was forbidden. They were looking into straight eyes of a huge, monstrous dog which filled the whole space between ceiling and floors. It had three heads, three head pairs of rolling mad eyes, three noses twitching and quivering in directions, three drooling mouths, saliva hanging in slippering ropes from yellowish fangs. It was standing quite still, all six eyes staring at them, and Harry knew exactly the reason they weren't already dead was that their sudden appearance has been taken by surprise. But it was get quickly getting over that. There was no mistaking what those thunderous growls meant. Harry groped for the doorknob between Filch and Death. He'd take Filch. Then fell backwards. Harry slammed the door shut and ran. They almost flew. Back in the corridor, Filch must have hurried to look for them somewhere else because they didn't see him anywhere. But... They hardly cared. All they wanted to do was get as much space as possible between they reached the monster. They didn't stop running until they reached the portrait on the fat lady on the seventh floor. Where on earth have you been? She asked, looking at their dressing gowns hanging off their shoulders and the flushed, sweaty faces. Never mind that. Pigs out, pigs out. And Harry and the portrait swung forward. They scrambled into the common room, Klaus trembling into armchairs. It was a while before any of them said anything. Neville, indeed, looked as he'd never speak again. What do you think they're doing, keeping a thing 
locked him in the school, said Ron finally. If any dog needs exercise, that one does. Hermione had got both her breath and bad temper back again. You don't use your eyes, any of you, do you? She snapped. Didn't you see what he was standing on? The floor, Harry suggested. I wasn't looking at his feet. I was too busy looking at his heads. No, not the floor. It was standing on a trap door. It's obviously guarding something. She stood up, glaring at them. I hope you're pleased with yourselves. We all could have been killed, or worse, expelled. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Ron stared at her, his open mouth. No, we don't mind, he said. You'd, you'd think we dragged her along, wouldn't you? But Hermione had given Harry something else to think about as he climbed back to bed. The dog was guarding something. Something. What had Hagrid said? Gringotts was the safest place in the world for something you wanted to hide. Except, perhaps, Hogwarts. It looked as though Harry had found where the grubby little package from Bolt 713 was. Thank you for listening to me read Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. In the next episode, we will be reading Chapter 10, Halloween. If you have some suggestions or compliments, you can message me on the Harry Potter's podcast Instagram page, which was given on my website. And the website link will be down in the description. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and bye!